All right, today I'm speaking with Stephen Middleton, PhD. He is an amazing human who is inspirational, has had amazing life, and there is more to come. Um, you will be buzzing with insight and inspiration through this episode. I can't wait to share it with you. Michael, hit it. Welcome to the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast, a show designed for leaders, trainers, and consultants who are responsible for employee selection and professional development. Each episode is packed full with insider tips, best practices, expert interviews, and inspiration. Please welcome the host who is helping leaders, trainers, and consultants everywhere, Susie Price. Hi there, this is Susie Price, and you're listening to the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast, where we cover everything related to helping senior leaders and internal and external consultants create a high-commitment, low-drama, wake-up eager workforce. Bottom line, we help leaders in organizations make good decisions about their people and make good decisions about themselves by becoming more self-aware and finding that balance between being committed to your work and everything you do in the world and being just as committed as to your own self-growth, self-awareness, and appreciation for self. Both elements are needed for a wake-up eager workforce. And I'm so glad that you've tuned in. We're at episode 108 And the title of today's episode is Personal Transformation is Possible with the Possibility Man, Stephen Middleton, Ph.D. Today, we talk about how he became known as the Possibility Man. We talk about his journey from picking cotton in South Carolina, which we both uh, are from South Carolina, so we have that in common. Picking cotton to a Ph.D. and U.S. constitutional historian traveling all over the world. Talk about his health and wellness tips. They're very interesting. We have a lot, he and I have a lot in common there of our interests and what has worked for us. And then we talk about this, the importance of building community and a sense of belonging. Let me tell you a little bit about Stephen's background. He grew up in rural, a rural community in South Carolina. His father was a general laborer and along with his uh, wife and their eight children, they were all sharecroppers. Stephen was their sixth child, and he spent his formative years picking cotton and plowing with a mule. He gained a burst of insight, and he talks about this, with a plow and a mule when he was 15 years old. An internal consciousness told him he could do better with his life. He heeded the admonition and enrolled in college where he graduated with honors. So not only did he graduate with honors, he went on to earn a Master of Art degree and a PhD. He taught at the University of Cincinnati. He was a, a longtime professor of constitutional history at North Carolina State University. He was the inaugural director of African American studies at Mississippi State University. And he's lectured all over our country and in Europe. And he's written books. He's been in three African countries, including Ghana. He's written or edited books. He's currently writing a biography about a judge, little-known judge, which was very interesting, and we'll talk about that in the episode. He's retired from academic work and has gone on. uh, He's a true entrepreneur. He's on to the next thing, which he's the founder of the Possibility Action Network, and he has a podcast called the Possibility Action Network Podcast. He's a speaker, transformational coach, and social entrepreneur. You might have heard his voice. He may seem familiar because we shared his mind, body, spirit tips in episode 106. And you can find that if you want to hear that episode. If you haven't heard it, we have different people talking about their top 
uh, products and ideas, you can go to pricelessprofessional.com, Mind Body Spirit 2024. And uh, he is the second person in the episode that shares some of his tips, and you'll hear, hear them again today. But I can't wait to share this with you. Let's go um, listen to the episode now in our great discussion. All right, Stephen, so glad to see you. The Possibility Man is amongst us. Thank you for being here. Oh, Susie, thank you for asking me. I, I'm just honored to be invited to your platform. Oh, well, we're blessed to have you. I know we're going to have a great discussion. And I'm going to jump in with the first discussion question. And, you know, you believe in personal transformation and you are an example of that in so many ways throughout your entire life. Talk about the key events that led you to believe so strongly in personal transformation and healing. And you talk about human resilience. You're just like a bright light. And so how did you become someone who thinks and feels that way? And then how did you get the moniker of the possibility man? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Ooh, that's, that's a lot. <laughs> but look, let me dive right in here. With um, I'll get it started and you can follow up if that's okay with you. Uh, you know, I grew up in a little place called Cross in South Carolina. I'm crossing my fingers here. That's the name where you pronounce Cross, South Carolina, a little place in Berkeley County. And one of my uncles was very influential in my life. When I talk about him, I talk about him all the time. You know, I'll be, just so you'll know, I'll be 70 years of age in about 20 days. So I'm thinking back, uh, Susie, about 60 years ago, you know, when I spent time with my, my uncle. And one of the things he taught me was how to take a nail and hammer, you know, the nail. And I would say things like, uncle, you know, I, I can't do this. And uncle did not pause one bit. He would just respond, Pappy can't been dead. He called me Pappy. I don't know why. He said, can't been dead. Then he followed up and said, I helped bury the scoundrel. So it was that kind of thing. I was hearing positive thinking from my uncle before I was 10 years of age. And as I said before, over the decades, I hold him dear in my heart. And that's something that I truly, truly uh, believe. You know, what was his to, name? I, what was his, his name? name was, uh, his name was William Mack. And let me tell you a little bit about him. I'm not sure his children would feel about me sharing this, but you see me smiling because thinking about him just brings a smile to my face. Like he was born, I don't know, sometime before 1920. He had all kinds of physical disabilities. He was under five feet tall. I'm not sure if he was four feet nine or four feet eight, but to looking at see his carriage you would think, my gosh, this guy is a midget. You know, uh, when he walked, he walked differently than some people, most people, you know, his feet were like curved out left and right. And he waddled as he moved about. And then he told me one day about how he got his start, you know, as an employed person, as a person making a living. He said, back in the day, you know, guys would go out into the woods and look for jobs at sawmills. And when he went out there, these big guys, I can just imagine these guys were like six feet tall. And this is back in the country, grits eating, strong men out there. And, you know, he said that the foreman would line men up and the foreman would stand on the back of the truck and just look out, you know, onto the sea of men looking for work. And he said those guys were trying to elbow him out of the way because they wanted to get an advantage. They wanted the foreman to see him, see them. And they wanted the foreman to give them a job. And he said he planted his feet. He held his ground. The foreman looked out over the men who were trying to push him out. And the foreman said, I want to hire that guy. 
And that guy, Susan was my uncle, he went on to get a great job at the paper mill in South Carolina, in Charleston, South Carolina. He was the first individual that I knew in my community who had a vehicle. This guy had a truck, you know, and back in the States, one last thing about him, he was so short, his, his, his foot that, you know, the starter was on the floor of the vehicle at the time. He could not just reach it by just extending his foot. He had to stretch his body out. And I can just see him now stretching his body, pressing that starter, getting that truck started. That guy was, he had superpowers. He influenced me then and he influences me to this day. Wow. What a great picture you painted of, you know, the foreman up on the stage is what I'm imagining. And these big guys, everybody saying, pick me, pick me. And your uncle, William Mack is just radiating the vibe of, I'm going to get it done, pick me, and that he gets picked. And, you know, there's just that that just paints a really strong picture of his level of determination, his will to win, will to yeah. make things happen. Yeah. yeah. You know, I like it when you said that. He radiated. And that's the thing about him. He radiated something. It wasn't his stature. It wasn't, you know, the, his uh, his body. But he radiated something else. And I guarantee you, if someone were to go to my hometown and interview guys over 60 years of age, they'll remember this man, William Mack, because he radiated something. He radiated possibility. Put it simply, he radiated possibility. Uh, yes. He was the start of the Possibility Man and the Possibility Action Network. Uh, he was surely that. But, you know, you asked me, how did this thing, this moniker, Possibility Man, came to me? I remember distinctly it was... December 2020, I was already doing some social media work. I was driving from Charlotte back to my to where I lived, and I wanted to do a shoot before it got too dark, and so I stopped at a little lake in Lake Wiley, and I didn't really think about what I wanted to talk about. And then something, Susie, downloaded into my being. And what it was, was simply something like, you've heard about Batman. You've heard about Superman. I am possibility man that came into my being in December 2020. That is so cool. That is so cool. You mentioned in your bio about getting a download when you were working in the fields at 15. And I like that idea of a download because I think we all get them. We all get nudges. And sometimes it's a download or sometimes it's just a joy feeling or a pull towards something. Talk a little bit about that and how you how yeah. you get these inspirations and and some some other moments. You know, I'm so glad you opened this door for me because it's an experience that I hold close, you know, to my heart. As I've said before, you know, I grew. I'm a rural boy. I'm a country boy. You know, uh, we picked cotton. You know, we uh, shucked corn. You know, we we picked uh, cucumbers. You know, that was my my upbringing. I can vividly see myself as a as a baby on the edge of a cotton field on a blanket because my mother was out in the field. You know, picking cotton. And as I got older, uh, before I was thirteen years of age, I was picking cotton. And you know, this is going to sound strange, but I take pride as an early teen to be able to pick cotton with both hands. I was able to pick like 100 pounds of cotton before I was 15 years of age. And as my older brothers, you know, matured and, and went on, I inherited the mule. And I began to plow with, uh, you know, with a plow and a mule 
in the fields. I mean, I would disc uh, cotton fields. I would create rows. I, I would do all kinds of things with that plow and mule, you know, in the field. And then one day, and this is, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was a bright, sunny day. I was plowing a field close to our home. Now, I had never thought about college. I've never thought about education. You may probe this a little later, but no one talked about education in my household. You know, but something just came into me and it spoke into my being. It wasn't like a voice. It was something that I heard with my whole being. And it simply said, you can do better than this. You know, you can do better than this. And evidently, I agreed, I can't do better than this. <laughs> and that's, after that, you know, things began to evolve and uh, other things happened after that. So, yeah, so it's so interesting how a happy life is full of happy moments of inspiration. You know, a fulfilled life uh, is full of, and then and it's like we get those hits or those insights. And if we can pay attention to them and see them as real, then they can pull us forward. And that seems to be what you're talking about with Possibility Action Network in regard to looking for the best in people, in regard to overcoming challenges, you know, so uh, that's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah, you know, and I, I just, you're, you're so right, is that we all get nudges. I mean, every, everyone does, every being on the planet, you know, being a human being or whatever else. And uh, gosh, at about, you know, 18, 19, um, you know, driving a milk truck, delivering lunches in, in Berkeley County, Dorchester County around Charleston, first doing the job, you know, I'm driving my milk truck, it was a reefer, you know, with my ledges in it. So I got back to the ground, to the yard. And just, you know, I was the only one there. Now, remember, I'm a new guy on the job. I'm driving a reefer for the very first time. And it was a milk and truck? A it milk was a truck. milk truck? It was a milk truck. Okay. Yeah, it was a milk truck. You know, so we were delivering right. lunches. And, uh, you know, I'm in the back of my truck, cleaning up my truck. And all of a sudden, the door slammed. I'm in the dark truck. I do not know this vehicle. So I had my broom in my hand and I began knocking, you know, knocking on the inside of the truck, help, help. But I was in a concealed environment. You know, there was a latch in the door, but I didn't know the truck. I didn't know where the latch was. I thought really that I was going to die. And then once again, just a soft, still voice said to me, speaking from within me, wasn't outside of me. <laughs> this is funny now, looking back, try the side door. And I groped around, felt around, and my hand hit the latch, and I opened the door. You're so right. We all get nudges if we're able to listen. Wow. And it seems like the more you listen and then kind of acknowledge them, the more you don't miss them when they come. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we gain experience, don't we? You know, we gain experience. I, I miss a lot. I know that. But we do gain, you know, experiences just like me talking with you. And the more we talk, I get a feel for when you want me to come back in. And it's that kind of thing. You get a feel for when something, uh, something beyond you that's within you that's speaking with you. And it could be something a very simple, like you left the pot burning in the kitchen. You know, something as simple, as simple as that. Have you done anything in particular in your in your daily life over the years to cultivate that one? I guess is acknowledging it. Do you do a particular prayer or meditation, or are there things that you do that help you stay open and receptive to insight and possibility? Yeah, you know, I uh, I'm still in the process, and this is one of the areas where I'm still still growing for sure. Now I've come to understand that there is something bigger than anything else 
that's on the planet. We see it all the time. You know, we see it whenever we look in the mirror. I saw it this morning when I shaved. When I look into my eyes, I know that, wait a minute, what's it's something? What's looking? What's looking out? You can ask the question, am I looking out or is there something else looking out? Is there spirit looking out? Is there God looking out? So we get these reminders, you know, all, all the time that there is, there is something different. How do you cultivate it? I, as I said, I'm still in process. I like reading sacred books. I like read, listening to audio that touch upon sacred topics. You know, occasionally I may whisper a prayer, but I, you know, and, and the prayer really is for, for me. It's not for anyone else. It's not for any being. So those things are still in the process. I'm trying to see if I could cultivate this notion of auto suggestion where I can speak into my being and that which I speak will come to pass. And when an individual may speak into their being, you know, healing, uh, a, a subject that's very challenging to them, is it possible for human being? And I'll say this last thing on this note is that I think this is where humanity is today. You know, we talk about AI, but HI is something that we still haven't gotten a full grasp on our capacity as human beings to overcome. And sometimes adversity that comes into our lives, I feel that about the things that have come into my life, things that I don't want, is my opportunity to discover, is it possible for me, including in this situation? So the possibility action network and the possibility man is just continually reminding people that it is possible and to look ahead and look forward and and your influences sound like they're from uh, started with William Mack, who showed you like, OK, he looks this way, but he is living that way. It's possible. Or I'm uh, working out in the fields and then I I land in getting multiple degrees. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it's, it's possible for sure. I mean, I, I feel that. And and the great question that every individual has to answer themselves is this, is it possible for me? So, you know, you can speak it, you know, you're Susie Price, you know, you're doing all of these wonderful things, you know, in social media, in your life, your business, all of these things, but then the person is asking, like, is it possible for me? And, and that's the question that I'm guiding people to in my work. My education, I, I was born in the, in the first half of the 1950s, and my father could not read, obviously, if he couldn't read, he couldn't write. Now, he could he could cipher a little bit. He said he could count money. <laughs> he knew his birthday, but yeah. you know, he could not read to me or or anything like that. My mother could barely read. My mother could not write letters. If when I was in college or as an older person, if my mother wanted to write to me, she would ask someone to write the letter as she spoke the letter. Now these were hardworking. My mother was a you know business oriented. She had a great business mind. So I'm not right. saying that these individuals were you know adults. Now, these individuals simply could not, did not yeah. learn to read and write. Both of my brothers, and I say this because I, I hope that someone would hear this and I hope that someone you know, would be inspired and would see the possibility for them. Both of my brothers dropped out of, of high school. You know, that was my example. Uh, we didn't have magazines at home. I mean, some people in our community did, but we just did not. No one talked about, you know, getting a trade or any of those kinds of things. Uh, but then I... Understood, though, that America is a place where people should have an opportunity. Uh, and I don't want to stray too far away from your question, but I want to get there about what drove me. So then, you know, I 
believed that people had, you know, equal rights, even if those people were not experienced. So I began to participate in things like that to promote equal rights when I was a teenager. And then I began to say, you know, I want to become a lawyer. You know, I want to become a lawyer. I want to join Thurgood Marshall. And I, you know, these are the kinds of things that I'm talking about, right, as a teenager. And when I graduated high school, I went to a little college and I met an historian. I didn't know what history, that history was a thing. I didn't know that history was a major. And Susie, this guy, I'll tell you his name, Michael Brandstatter, graduated from Duke University. He might have been 32 or whatever when, he, when I met him. He was just a hot shot. You could tell, you know, you could tell. He was teaching Western civilization. You know, he was teaching about the Roman Empire. You know, he was teaching French history. That's the guy that turned my life around. This guy made history something that made sense to me. I loved it so much. I went in and changed my major from social studies, I believe it was, because they said social studies was a good thing to study if you want to become a lawyer. I declared history as a major because of one individual that turned the light bulb on for me. And as an undergraduate, I began doing legal history. I didn't even know it. I did my first legal history paper on the Dred Scott decision. Uh, and in graduate school, I discovered that I could actually blend history and law. And therefore, I specialized in U.S. constitutional history. And of course, did one year of law school to deepen my experience in law to further my research and my teaching. Wow, that's amazing. And tell me about your teaching career. What was that like? Yeah, you know, I uh, I got my master's when I was 23 years of age. And it was a great school. I don't want, I'm not going to name schools here. And, uh, you know, because I graduated from this institution, a small college with a master's degree, picked me up as a teacher. What? <laughs> Yay! So I began, I began teaching. I began teaching history just like, you know, at my small college where I attended. I taught Western civilization. I taught Asian history. You know, I taught American history. So uh, it, it intimidated me because I didn't see myself becoming a teacher. But uh, one thing led to another. And as a teacher, you know, I felt that I wanted to do more than just teach. I could have just taught at that school for the rest of my career. And I'm grateful for that, you know, for that dean who gave me a job. But I wanted to contribute to the literature. So that meant, you know, go, for me, going back to school, getting advanced training. And that's, and that's what I did. And then I got another job teaching at a bigger university and then got another job teaching at still a larger university that allowed me to teach my specialty, U.S. constitutional history. And then before I retired, had the opportunity to create an academic program and be an administrator, which was something that I wanted to do. And then I began to, you know, to do research. I mean, that's something that I, that I thrive on, actually. I mean, I love research and began to, you know, write books and, and, and articles. And I've been very fortunate in, in that area. How did you stay connected with your family throughout? You're, I imagine you evolving in many, many ways through this process. Was it tricky staying in touch with your family and when you're out experiencing the world the way you were? You know, I'm glad you asked that question. You are so perceptive because, you know, there are some nuances here if the person is a different person. I mean, but, you know, me and, and then hundreds, thousands, millions of people just like me who are just who they are. You know, I, I'm still a country boy at heart. So indeed, you know, I've, I've traveled abroad. I've 
given lectures at Cambridge University and Oxford. Who would have thought a plowbird would do that, right? <laughs> you know, I've traveled to various countries in Africa and the Caribbean and Canada, and I've, I've done all kinds of things. I've written or edited several books. I'm writing, working on a book project now. And of course, I'm possibility man, but my family would not really know that. I would say, this is going to crack you up. I was talking to one of my nephews, one of my great nephews, my niece's son, one of my niece's sons, a few years ago. This is recent. And I wanted to inspire this kid, right? I wanted to talk to this kid with the aim of inspiring him. I said, hey, do you know that your uncle is a doctor? He looked at me. He said, you're a doctor? No, I didn't know that. So even my family may not know that today. So you stay connected by being who you are. Yeah. Yeah. And you you you're now in retirement living back in South Carolina. Oh gosh. I tell you what, I've lived in different places and coming back to my home state. All right, this is this is crazy. But I just love being on South Carolina soil. It just something it's like I'm grounded. I'm back home. I can drive back to where I grew up if I want to. I'm only about you know less than two hours away and I can visit with my sisters and you know other people. It's just Something special for me about home, about place, about location. Now, nothing else matters. I don't think about houses that just, you know, but being home in my home state is just, just something beautiful for me. I think if I were a poet, I would write poetry about it. <laughs> awesome. That's good. And you said you were working on a book project. Is it more, is it about constitutional law or something else? Yeah. You know, uh, I'm glad you asked. And I'll try not to make this story too long, but it, it's a story that, that's, that I love to tell. I was finishing up my doctorate, and I was in the archives in Cincinnati, Ohio. My dissertation was about Ohio legal history, so I was doing research in some of the legal journals, newspapers, and the like. And then that historical society had invited the great American historian, John Hope Franklin, to give a lecture at the archives. I didn't know that it was coming, but I was there. So I sat in on the on the lecture. Uh, Franklin at the time was working on a project, was was actually, actually just published a book about George Washington Williams, and just a unique biography. And Franklin said, you know, he had been stalking Washington for all of those years. So I bought the book, got his autograph in it, and then opened it up. And he had pictured an individual that I had never heard of before. His name is Robert Heberton Terrell. And Franklin had a caption under the picture. This was a distinguished looking, you know, African-American. He had on a suit and cap and, oh my God, just so impressive. And still, he looked like a statue more than a person. Then Franklin had under, under the caption, he attended Harvard University and graduated as a valedictorian. And the man was born in 1857. And I said, wait a minute, how did he do that? How did he do that? <laughs> so, you know, I went to the library and I, I opened up some, some collections of papers. The paper collection was by uh, Booker T. Washington, who was a great leader. And Washington, someone had collected Washington's paper. And I turned to an index and I looked. There had been correspondences between my guy, Robert Heberton Terrell, and Booker T. Washington. And I looked further. This guy became a justice of the peace in the District of Columbia. Then he was so ambitious, he went to law school 
at Howard University School of Law, got a bachelor's degree in law, but that was not enough. He went back and got a master's degree in law at LLM. And then I saw in 1909, this guy was appointed to the municipal court in Washington, D.C. And I wanted to know, how did this happen? So I've been stalking him for a while, complicated project. I'm working on it. I'm going to see this thing through. I hope within the next few years, it's 2023 now, 2025, there'll be a biography of this judge who came from nowhere to become a judge. Possibility. I know. That's what I was like. Yes, yes. We need that book. We need more more stories that everybody can relate to. And, you know, there's just so, it's so interesting how history, you know, here's this wonderful man that nobody knows about and you're going to make him known. Yeah, I, I love it. It's a great project. I have this picture. I met his grandson and uh, he gave me a portrait of Robert Terrell. It's in my office and he's looking at me and I could hear him say, get to work now. Come on, get to yeah, work. <laughs> get to work now. So it's so funny that we connected and I had an instant connection with you when I saw you interviewing one of our favorite teachers, which we'll talk about in a minute. But the story you're telling, I'm very involved in the Robert S. Hartman Institute. Mm. And it's been, he's it, Hartman uh, discovered a science called axiology that we use in the assessments to help people understand how they're thinking, feeling, and making decisions. And he studied with Abraham Maslow, but a lot of people don't know about him. And wow. there's been a bunch of senior people who've kept it alive, the Hartman Institute. And then probably in 2019 or 20, I got involved and I kept telling my husband, I don't know why I'm doing this, but you know, I spent like all summer redoing their website. I mean, I have my own business. I got my own things wow. to do, but you know, but it's the same kind of like I was, I'm drawn to who he was. And then now there's now that whole institute has a new energy. I just went to a conference and 50 people from around the world came to the conference per, in person to, mm. to study and talk about his work. And we're using his work all over the... So anyway, I'm really relating to, you know, just highlighting the good work that people have done and then building on it. And, you know, we're going we're to talk about your assessment results in a minute, but you're a futuristic thinker from your assessment results. Like according to the assessment, you're, a, you love knowledge. You think outside the box, you're, you're practical, you get results. You have this will, you know, that pulls people forward and you do it in a very accurate way. And so anyway, I just see that playing out in everything that we're talking about here, you know, and, and the futuristic thinker is, is going to bring Robert H. Terrell to life for people. That's exciting. That's right. That's, that's, that's nice. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Love it. So when the book's available, we'll have you back on and you, we can talk about it or when you're, when you're about ready to publish it. Uh-oh, you got it in the record, so it has to happen now. We've spoken yes. it into existence. Yeah, we're speaking it, speaking it into existence. Not if, but when, right? He's sitting at your desk looking at you. All right, this is the end of part one. Don't miss part two where we continue to discuss personal transformation with Stephen Middleton. The tracker link to find the show notes and to get the transcript is going to pricelessprofessional.com forward slash possibility man. Pricelessprofessional.com forward slash possibility man. And it's all one word, lowercase. Would love for you to subscribe to the Wake Up Eager Workforce podcast. Uh, wherever you get your podcast, just put that in wakeupeagerworkforce.com. It's also where you can get the show notes and all the other episodes. We'd love for you to give us a review. If you give us a review, it helps us be seen, helps us know you're listening. It's very encouraging for me and our team, and uh, we, it helps other people find us. 
So if you would take a few minutes to do that, doesn't take but two minutes probably to leave a review. I've show you how to do it at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash review. I've got the steps lined out. You can do it on your computer. You can do it on your iPhone or iPad. If you do that, let us know. I've got a free gift for you. It's a, a workplace motivators assessment that you can share with your friend, uh, family member, or use for yourself. It gives you keen insight. We talk about workplace motivators in all these discussions from the assessment. And um, you could have your own own understanding of what your motivators are or help someone you love and care about. If I can help you in any way, give me a shout, Susie at PricelessProfessional.com. Thanks for tuning in and have a wonderful, wonderful possibility type of day. <laughs> Waking up eager. Yes. We'll see you at part two. This episode of the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast was brought to you by Priceless Professional Development. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to pricelessprofessional.com to gain access to more professional development resources.